بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وسبحان الله العلي العظيم ربنا لك الحمد كما ينبغي لجلال وجهك ولعظيم سلطانك ربنا لك الحمد ولك الشكر ولك الملك إليك يرجع الأمر أنت نور السماوات والأرض ومن فيهن أنت قيوم السماوات والأرض ومن فيهن أنت الحق ووعدك الحق ولا إله إلا أنت ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن اتبعه بإحسان إلى يوم الدين سبحان الله Life on its earth makes sense only if, if and only if it is a temporary abode, it is a temporary state with consequences and a result. If it is a state that has been ordained by someone that is bigger than this life, that understands its object and its purpose, and that decreed it. It is very tempting It is very tempting in our life to lose sight of the fact that that this is a purposeful existence a purposeful existence with results and consequences and that either we exist in a world that is measured by justice and for order in order for justice to be the premise of our existence, there must be, there must be a Lord and creator and maker and owner, or we exist in a whimsical, nonsensical, purposeless, pointless existence. And for that, 
then all is fair game and no morals and no values and no virtues makes sense. But for Muslims in particular in our age, in this time, the time where we just passed by the anniversary, the 25th anniversary of the massacre in Srebrenica in Bosnia, where 8,000 Muslims were killed in, in one massacre in a war that saw the slaughter of thousands of Muslims. And the saddest thing is that we exist in an age where the Bosnian massacre ended up being just simply a prelude to a whole number of massacres against Muslims. The Bosnian massacre was a harbinger. It was like a clarion call for the birth of what we now know as Islamophobia. What produced the Bosnian massacre was a sustained racist, a sustained racist discourse about Muslims as dangerous people and as the other, Muslims as sort of a, a people with alien qualities, alien qualities, qualities alien to civilization, alien to a civilized existence. Muslims as the exception, the sort of the thesis of Muslim exceptionalism. And at the time that witnessed the birth of what we now identify as Islamophobia, that special um, genre of racism directed at a racialized Muslim group, or a Muslim, sorry, a racialized religious group, a religious group that are given racial attributes and racial um, characteristics and then demonized in a systematic way. The saddest thing is that instead of the Bosnian massacre becoming a turning point for the world to wake up to the dangers of Islamophobia and the ugliness of Islamophobia, and the genocidal tendencies of Islamophobia. 25 years later, we find that Islamophobia actually exploded upon the world. And in fact, sweeped the entire world. And in addition to the Bosnian genocide, we have now the Rohingyas and we have the Uyghur Muslims and we have the Kashmiri Muslims, and Islamophobia not only became more firmly rooted around the world, it has 
managed to weave itself in the mainstream of Western civilization so that it presents itself as an intellectualized discourse that is able to camouflage its racism and fool a good number of intellectuals and a good number of decent people. People who normally would be alert to the worst aspects of racism. But 25 years later, we find the situation has worsened considerably. But 25 years later, what is even worse than that is that many of the thesis and premises of Islamophobia, and in fact, many of the, much of the racism of Islamophobia has become internalized by Muslims themselves. A lot of people don't realize that just because you belong to a racialized and oppressed minority, it doesn't mean that you yourself cannot be a racist. To put it simply, it is possible for a black person to be racist against his or her own race. It is possible for an Asian person to be racist against his or own his or her or his or her own race. And it is also possible for a Muslim to become a racist, to racialize Islam, and then to adopt bigoted and stereotypical and superficial attitudes towards that Islam. And sadly, much of what we first witnessed as the claims racist and bigoted and stereotypical claims of Islamophobia 25 years ago with the Bosnian genocide, a lot of that discourse have become adopted by Muslims themselves and repeated entirely oblivious to the racial overtones and the bigoted overtones and the ignorant overtones of what they are saying. When people who hardly know anything about Islamic history, because the vast majority of Muslims don't know anything about Islamic history, stupidly repeat claims and statements about the role of despotism in Islam and tarnish the entire Muslim experience as a despotic experience and say things like Muslims can't understand what democracy is or Muslims are not ready for democracy or Muslims cannot coexist with liberty or numerous things like that. They don't realize the extent to which they are bigoted and racist against their own selves. But 25 years later, not only has 
so much more Muslim blood spilled. And not only has the normative question, the moral issue of Islamophobia and racism become much worse. It is as if the blood spilled in genocides and massacres around the world has whetted the appetite of human beings around the world to become more racist and more bigoted in general. Not just against Islam and Muslims, but in general. But in my view, worst of all, is that when you find the racism of Islamophobia has penetrated to the heart of the Muslim world, so that much of what we hear coming out of countries like Egypt, or Saudi Arabia, or the Emirates, is resoundingly Islamophobic and resoundingly racist and stereotypical and ignorant. One might be tempted in this situation to adopt an air of pessimism and despair One might be tempted to say, well, things keep going from bad to worse. And it doesn't seem like we can make a difference. And this is precisely why I began this khutbah with reminding all of us, including myself, that justice is the premise of this world because God is the premise of this world and God is justice. For a Muslim, despair is not an option. For a Muslim, despair is often an attitude of kufr. Because despair is premised, is premised on an attitude that that things cannot be changed although they ought to be changed. That leaves out of the equation Allah, the owner of all, the maker of all. Allah who, if Allah would have willed, everything would change in an instant. I've always been struck by the fact that 
the Prophet Muhammad is reminded by God or informed by God. We know that throughout the Quran, the Prophet is God reminds the Prophet repeatedly of other prophets and the story and the legacy and the history of other prophets. But I've always been struck by the fact that the first prophet that Allah ever mentions to the Prophet Muhammad is Yunus, the Prophet Yunus Now, you would think logically if Allah would remind the Prophet of another prophet, it would be perhaps Adam, perhaps Noah, perhaps Abraham, the one who called us Muslims after all. We are called Muslims because of the prophet Abraham or Ibrahim Or the lawgiver, the prophet of the law, Moses, Musa or the Prophet Isa, who was the closest in time to the Prophet Muhammad. But no, the first Prophet that Allah mentions to the Prophet is the Prophet Yunus. And this is in Surah Al-Qalam, the third, one of the earliest revelations in the Quran. probably the third surah to be revealed when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet Muhammad فَاصْبِرْ لِحُكْمِ رَبِّكَ وَلَا تَكُنْ كَصَاحِبِ الْحُوتِ إِذْ نَادَى وَهُوَ مَقْظُومٌ لَوْلَا أَنْ تَدَارَكُهُ نَعْمَةٌ مِنْ رَبِّهِ لَنُبِذَ بِالْعَرَاءِ وَهُوَ مَدْمُومٌ in Surah Al-Qalam, the third revelation and the first surah to mention another prophet of God, Allah tells the Prophet Muhammad, don't be like Sahib al-Hut, that's a reference to the Prophet Yunus and a reminder of the story of the Prophet Yunus with an emphasis to the Prophet Muhammad to reflect upon the lessons from the legacy of Yunus What is the story behind the Prophet Yunus that makes it so pressing for the Prophet Muhammad and so pressing for us and for humanity forever? Remember that at this time, 
this is at the beginning of the revelation and the Prophet Muhammad has a long road of persecution and suffering. At least a decade of suffering in Mecca and then the migration to Medina and then another decade of intense persecution. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is preparing the Prophet Muhammad for the long road ahead. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then chooses to instruct the Prophet Muhammad first with the legacy of the Prophet Yunus. Well, simply, Yunus was among the descendants of Israel, uh, at least that's, there, there are various reports, but these are probably the most credible reports, is that the prophet Yunus was an Israelite prophet, Yunus bin Metta. And he was sent to the city that is now in, or to an area that is now in Mosul, Iraq, or the city of Nineveh in the Assyrian dynasty or the Assyrian Empire. And the Prophet Yunus salam, goes to Nineveh and spends a very long time, we don't know how long precisely, but spends a long time inviting the people of Nineveh to the path of truth, believing in one God, in abandoning the worship of idols, and, and in refraining from the enormous unjust practices and oppressive practices that were the earmark of Assyrian culture and laws. And in addition to that, there are reports, especially in the Torah, but in the Islamic side, the Assyrians persecuted the Israelites, and at least according to the Torah, the Prophet Yunus was also trying to get the Assyrians to roll back on their oppressive and what we would call today racist and bigoted practices against the Israelites. Although again, to what extent, because the Torah tends to Israelite everything, to make everything about the Israelites, while in Islam the Prophet Yunus is portrayed more as a universal prophet, as, as the same was Isa and the same was Musa and so on. Anyway, eventually, the prophet Yunus finds the people of Nineveh unresponsive and unreceptive 
very few people follow the Prophet Yunus and they respond to his call for justice and decency and morality and truth by defiance and by, like the Islamophobes, becoming even worse and worse. Because as you know, there are a kind of people that when you call them to their conscience, conscience, they become more defiant. And if they did one thing wrong, after you call them to their conscience, they double it and triple it. In other words, they augment their bad behavior in defiance. And the people on Nineveh seem to be getting worse and worse. Eventually, the Prophet Yunus salam, gives up and depending on the report you accept, whether the Prophet Yunus salam, prays to Allah to punish the people of Nineveh and Allah then answers the prayer by saying, okay, well, they will be destroyed in three days, or whether it is God's, it, it, it was not preceded by a prayer, but God decided that the people of Nineveh will be destroyed and informs the Prophet Yunus that they will be destroyed in three days. In all cases, the Prophet Yunus gets notice that the people of Nineveh are going to be destroyed in three days. And at that point, the Prophet Yunus despairs and says, these people are going to be destroyed in three days. I'm not going to hang around to see it. I'm leaving. And he picks up and leaves the city of Nineveh. The Quran profoundly describes the state. And I'll read the, the this is from um, Surah Al-Anbiya. With a noon referred to as the man of the whale. And we'll, we'll mention why in a second. But anyway, so the Quran describes the situation. It says that the Nun, or Prophet Yunus salam, leaves the people of Nineveh Mughadibah. He's, he's angry and upset and fed up. And at that point, he goes to take a ship, probably in the Red Sea, again, you know, whether, let's go with that in the Red Sea. In order to get as far away from, from Ninawa and Mosul as possible, now having lost hope in 
I said the Red Sea, and I actually, sorry, meant the uh, Arabian Gulf, the, the area today where. Anyway, he goes on the ship, and there is a storm. The people on the ship recognize the prophet Eunice as a monotheist through some through rumor and reputation. Of course, they don't recognize him as a prophet, but they recognize him as a stranger, not one like them. And like the practices of that time, when people would fall, would confront a difficulty, trials and tribulations, the first thing they think of is a sacrifice to the gods. And in order to present a sacrifice to the gods so that the gods might allow them to survive the storm on the high seas, they decide to over to throw the Prophet Yunus overboard to drown in the oceans. In some reports, they, 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 um, uh, they take a Qur'an, um, a lottery, but uh, it's more likely that they actually targeted him and said, you know, we're, uh, the gods are probably angry at us because of you, so we're going to throw you overboard. Well, the pro when you're thrown overboard, at that point, there is a whale that, that appears in the ocean and swallows the Prophet Yunus salam. And the Prophet Yunus salam remains in the belly of the whale for a period of time, a day, two days, three days, a week, who knows. But through a miracle of God survives and is eventually expelled from the belly of the whale to a seashore. The question, the crux of this matter, the heart of it, is that when the Prophet when the Prophet Yunus is thrown in the ocean, and is swallowed by the whale. At that point, he recognizes that he erred and that he did something wrong and that he is expatiating for a sin. And he utters a famous dua and a famous prayer, La ilaha illa anta subhanak inni kuntu min Allah, there is no God but you. Praised be you. I have been among the unjust. La ilaha illa ant subhanak inni kuntu minadhalimeen. What was the sin of Prophet Yunus alayhi salam? Why did he need to be overthrown, to be thrown overboard, swallowed by a whale, supplicate to God intensely about his own injustice, before God saves him by having the whale throw him up where he ends up in an ocean under a fig tree that saves his life. 
horrible suffering. The the stories about you know how the Prophet Yunus looked and the amount of illness and the the condition of his skin after he is belched out out of the tummy of the whale, the belly of the whale are 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 horrible. I mean, so the man suffered and suffered intensely. What was the Prophet Yunus sin? Well, when he leaves Ninawa after being given notice that in three days Ninawa will be destroyed, and he goes on that ship and then is overthrown by the people, is thrown overboard by the people of the ship and swallowed by a whale, he recognizes that the same ignorant attitudes and set of beliefs and the lack of commitment to justice and ethics that plague the people of Nineveh, plague the people of the ship. It's the same frame of mind. And the lesson comes full circle when we realize what happened to the people of Nineveh after the Prophet Yunus left them. Were they destroyed as the Prophet Yunus, even when the Prophet Yunus was recuperating on a beach under a fig tree, he thought the people of Nineveh were destroyed because Allah told him they're going to be destroyed in three days. Well, the lesson comes full circle when we realize that in fact they were not destroyed and they were not punished. After the Prophet Yunus left, at the beginning of the three days, the people of Nineveh noticed the skies darkening. And they started being terrified and scared. And one of the followers of the Prophet Yunus, man only known to us as Al-Alim, we don't know who he was exactly, told them, this might be your last chance. Why don't you gather all the people that you can gather and let's go to, his, to the seashore and beg God for forgiveness and plead with God not to curse us. In other words, they changed their mind at the very last second. And they went and they pleaded with the Lord and the Lord, in fact, forgave them. So after the Prophet Yunus recuperated and went back to the people of Nineveh, he discovered that in his absence, not only were the people of Nineveh saved, but in fact, they, good part of them, if not most of them, in fact, followed his message. So what was his sin? Despair. That after being told by Allah that they have three days to be destroyed, even then, it was not his right to give up on his people. That even then, in the very last second, one of his followers that remained behind made all the difference. And his sin 
was so grave that he had to go through an excruciatingly painful message to leave the city of Nineveh to confront another group of ignorant people on a ship for those people to throw him overboard, to be swallowed by a whale, to find himself despairing in the belly of the whale with the odd situation that he's alive. And of course, that's a miracle from the divine because people don't survive in the bellies of the whale. And to be scorched by the acid in the whale's stomach so that even the descriptions say that his skin had become raw and red like, the, like a baby newly born skin. So when the whale threw him up, he was, in, he was in a horrible state of suffering. To be thrown under a fig tree, to nurse himself to health, to go back to the people of Nineveh and to see that if you believe in God, then you must believe in justice. And if you believe in God and justice, then the results and the consequences are God's alone. Your job is to speak the truth till the very last second of your life. Even after all the indicators are that you have failed or that your prayers have not been answered, you persist. That is why the Prophet Yunus salam, was the first prophet to be mentioned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the Prophet Muhammad. It is not a coincidence that among the worst persecution that the Prophet Muhammad confronts was in Taif when having suffered enormously in Mecca, the Prophet, the Prophet Muhammad travels to Ta'if to try to convince the people of Ta'if to protect him and to give him amnesty and shelter. And instead they turn on him and they throw rocks at him and they pelt him to an extent that uh, he bleeds from his feet and bleeds so much that he's basically insulted and humiliated and, 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 and assaulted in a ta'if until he escapes from a ta'if and comes to a point outside the ta'if and collapses in absolute exhaustion, bleeding and hurt and injured to rest. At that point, a kid, a slave boy, comes up to him, sees him and feels bad for him and takes uh, some grapes to present it to this man that he saw being insulted and assaulted. The Prophet Muhammad sees this boy who's offering him the grapes and asks him, who are you? And he says, I am, I think his name was Adas or something like that. I am from Nineveh. 
not the Ninawa of the Prophet Yunus of course it's the same city but hundreds of years later and the Prophet Muhammad smiles and says you are from the city of the Prophet Yunus and he says yes I'm that's where I'm from and the Prophet is reminded at that moment of the revelation in Surah Al-Qalam the third revelation of the Quran that warned him to learn from the mistake of the Prophet Yunus that warned him don't be don't repeat that mistake despair is not an option it is as if that boy that gave the grapes to the Prophet Muhammad after being insulted and assaulted in Ta'if with that little mercy from Allah that if you are not alert to the mercies of Allah and the way that Allah would communicate with you you could easily miss how often how often you go on in life and something that could appear completely happenstance and coincidental is actually the way Allah is talking to you that little boy with the few grapes that he offered to a bleeding Muhammad in pain after having been insulted and humiliated by an entire town with Allah's reminder that despair is not an option that's not your job I focus on the theme of despair because of the way that immorality works and in fact the way that sin works most people don't decide to become immoral most people don't decide to do what is wrong most people slip into immoral situations slip into immoral situations or slip into sinful situations because they simply give up most people most people have a sense of idealism about them at one point in life they want to do what's right but then shaitan tells them you've been doing what's right all your life 
Has it really made any difference? To when are you going to keep doing what's right? Has it really made a difference? Does it really make a difference if you believe in justice or if you speak the truth or if you're a nice human being or if you obey Allah? Why does God care? Because God really doesn't care about you. You don't really matter. So really, if you follow this or you do this or you believe in this, would it really make a difference? And most people, because they allow shaitan to convince them that it really doesn't make a difference, they start slipping. And they don't slip in one big swoop at a time, but they slip in baby steps, little by little, until they get to a point where they don't like themselves anymore. And then they give up. Where they feel like hypocrites, and so they give up. The biggest ally the biggest ally to Islamophobia was Muslim despair. When Muslims themselves feel like, you know, the Bosnian genocide happened. Because I remember I was still fully aware in, in those, those days, for my, my prime years. When Muslims at that point felt like, oh, you know, nothing we do makes a difference. And when Muslims stopped caring, things got steadily worse and worse. And the biggest victory that Islamophobes achieved is then when they convinced Muslims in countries like Saudi and the Emirates and Egypt that their Islamic values and ethics don't make a difference, so might as well give them up. And that's precisely what happened. When the Bosnian genocide happened, there was a total outrage. Today, Jerusalem gets taken and we don't even care anymore. We gave up. We despaired. The Rohingyas get slaughtered. The Uyghurs get slaughtered. And we don't care anymore. We gave up. We despaired. And that's the biggest gift given to the Islamophobes and to racists. When the racialized and oppressed accept their oppression and philosophize the racism inflicted against them, that's when the racist truly wins. The racist doesn't win as long as you are resisting. The racist wins when you philosophize the racism that you are suffering as something other than unjust, immoral, and disgusting. That's the true victory. If you believe in God, there is no room for despair. 
you have to do your part. If the Prophet Yunus is told by God, these people will be destroyed in three days. And even then, he didn't have the right to despair. And even then, when he gave up and said, okay, well, they're going to be destroyed in three days, I'm not going to hang around to watch it, I'm leaving. God teaches him a very painful lesson. No, you should have stayed there and kept trying to the very last second. The stories of the prophets in the Quran are not stories. They're not there to entertain us. They're not there for us to say, well, oh, these are stories of prophets, how interesting, but they're prophets. They're there to teach us moral lessons about our lives. If God chose to tell us about them, God has a point. I'm going to close with the story of a man called Tufail bin Amr al-Dawsi. Tufail bin Amr al-Dawsi, for me, was always one of the interesting companions of the Prophet. He starts out, he was a very well-known poet, one of the profound poets of pre-Islamic Arabia. Uttufail is a well-known poet from Daus, the tribe of Daus, a pompous, young, proud man. The poets of back in these days were like the rock stars of today. They were the celebrities. They would get all the attention, all the money, all the, you know, when a story that he would, wherever he would go, women would flock around him and wow and sigh and all of that because he's good looking and he's poet and he's fancy. And so there's an interesting background story Tufail from the that tribe that was not that lived outside of Mecca. He would visit Mecca. When he would visit Mecca, he would be warned by the Meccans not to listen to the Prophet Muhammad And he would be told, "Don't allow yourself to hear any of this man's Quran." Because it is like witchcraft. It's like a spell. It might capture your heart and lead you astray. Tufail said, but I am a great poet. If I, you think I will be affected by the Quran, if I listen to the Quran, I will fall. I will be enraptured by the Quran. I've recited the greatest poetry in in the Arab world. I've composed some of the greatest poems in the Arab world. I've heard all the great poets of my time. Nothing in the Quran could possibly affect me. They warn him time and again, don't get close to the Prophet Muhammad. Don't allow yourself to listen to any of the Quran. 
So, uh, to file, you know, whatever, especially if you're young and whatever is prohibited becomes more desirable. So he sees the Prophet Muhammad praying and he walks close to him and he overhears him recite the Quran. Once he hears the Quran, in a very famous statement, he says something to the effect, I have never heard anything in the language of Arabs more eloquent and more sweet and more powerful. So anyway, he follows the Prophet Muhammad and goes and he tells him, you know, your people warned me against you. They warned me not to listen to any of the Quran because it might capture my heart, but I overheard you recite the Quran. Can you tell me what your religion is all about? Anyway, the Prophet Muhammad tells him and Tufail converts to Islam. When Tufail converts to Islam, he tells the Prophet, let me stay, live with you. Let me stay with you. The Prophet says, no, go back to your people, Daus, to the tribe of Daus, invite them to Islam where they are, don't stay with me. Tufail reluctantly leaves the Prophet but goes back to his people. And the days go, the, the, there's a migration to Medina. After the migration to Medina, there is the Battle of Badr. There is the Battle of Uhud. There is the Battle of the Trench. There's all these battles. Where is Tufail? Tufail is in his tribe of Daus, preaching Islam to them. Every time he attempts to join the Prophet in his battles, the Prophet tells him, no, stay where you are. Eventually, eventually, Muslims conquer Mecca itself. And to file at that point, put yourself in his shoes. He lives in his tribe in Daos, preaching Islam, and he hears that his Prophet and the companions are fighting all these great battles in Badr and in Uhud and in Khandaq. And there, there's a, the, the Kuffar lay siege to the Muslims in Medina. And the, the, eventually the Muslims are victorious over Mecca itself. What you're doing, you're just preaching Islam to your people. And repeatedly you're told, no, stay where you are. Don't, don't come and join us. Continue teaching. Eventually, when the Muslims are victorious over Mecca, Tufail says, okay, that's it. I'm going to pick up. I've missed out on all the great events. I am going to go join the Prophet Muhammad. He goes, sees the Prophet, and says, Prophet, you have instructed me to live with the people of Daos, my people. And I have lived all these years preaching Islam to them. 
but the vast majority of them are, will not listen, will not, will not believe. The reason he gives is very interesting. He tells them Ya Nabi Allah innahu qad ghalabani ala dawsu zina fad'u Allah alayhim The reason they will not follow me is they like zina too much they like fornication and adultery. They like sex too much. They won't follow me because they're, they like their sexual promiscuity. And he asked the Prophet to do dua against doubts. The Prophet at that point tells to fight he refuses to pray, to, to curse doubts. He refuses to do a dua against them. And instead says, Allahumma hdi dawsa, Allahumma hdi dawsa, irja ila qawmik, fad'uhum, warfiq bihim. What the Prophet tells to file is fascinating. He prays that Allah guides doubts that Allah blesses doubts instead of curse them and then he tells to file go back to your people continue preaching but be kind to them the prophet is told that they refuse to follow because they like sex too much. And the Prophet's response is be kind to them, be gentle. Eventually, after the Prophet's prayer, about, the reports differ, but about 40, some say 400, but anyway, families convert from Daos. Eventually, Tufail himself is allowed to leave his tribe of Daos with the converts that he managed to convince and join the Prophet for the last year or two years of the Prophet's life. And eventually, to file himself is killed in battle, is martyred after the Prophet dies. Reflect upon this. The Prophet could have prayed to Allah to guide doubts from the very beginning and save to file all the trouble. But that's not what happened. The Prophet had to have doubts, had to have to fight, pay his dues, and had to have the law of nature and the law of God work its course. The prophet could have told to file, 
forget them, come be a soldier from the very beginning. But that's not what the Prophet did. The Prophet could have heard that those like to fornicate and like sex and like promiscuity, and he could have went into a tirade and a rage and cursed them from the beginning. But his response is, be kind to them. Eventually, in the last year or two of the Prophet's life, poor Tufail is allowed to finally join the Prophet, the dream of his life. The dream of his life after having converted to Islam is to live with the Prophet. And he is denied this dream all this time so he can be among his people preaching the truth, preaching justice, regardless of the consequences. It is the principle of man that matters. And eventually this man who lived in non-military life most of his life dies in battle as if to underscore a point. Your fate is in the hands of God. You might live an entire life thinking that you will die in your bed. But ultimately, Khalid ibn al-Walid died in his bed, although he led a million battles in his life. And Tufail, who had, didn't lead any battles, dies in battle, not in his bed. Life with the truth of God is a life of purpose and meaning that doesn't know despair. Allahumma afu'anna. Allahumma khfirlana. Allahumma arhamna ya aliyya azim. Wansur al-Islam wa a'izz al-Muslimin ya Rabbal Alameen. Allah forgive our sins. Guide us to the righteous path. Allow us the wisdom to persevere in your path and in the path of truth and justice and never to give up and never be among the despairing. Ya Allah, grant us the wisdom of reaching for your beauty and living in your beauty, surrounded and shrouded by your light. Ya Rani, Ya Azim. صلي وسلم وبارك على محمد وعلى اله وصحبه ولم تبع باحسان الى يوم الدين الله يرحمه العدو والحسن الله اكبر الله اكبر